is an Odyssey original. This is Coronavirus Daily. I'm Charles Feldman. I'm Mike Simpson from the KNX Odyssey Studios in L.A. Latest COVID surge continues to hit the U.S., getting worse, straining the hospitals, especially in the South, especially Louisiana, just dealing with Hurricane Ida. There are staffing shortages. We'll get into whether the hospitals are reaching their breaking points once again. Europe getting tough on American travelers, at least those who are not vaccinated. And the parents' vaccination status could now impact whether they can see their kid. A unique case out of Chicago. Let's get back to hospitals, though. Dr. Janice Orlowski is chief health officer for the Association of American Medical Colleges. Doctor, why are hospitals in this country in such trouble? We are struggling because we have been in this pandemic now for about 16 months. Um, What we find is we're struggling with getting sufficient staff, uh, nurses, doctors, um, healthcare workers. The other thing is, is we're seeing another surge. So cases are up, hospitalizations are up, intensive care unit visits are up. And the other thing that we're seeing, which is uh, very interesting, is non-COVID cases. So people who delayed care who are now coming into the hospital. So for many reasons, we are seeing a tremendous increase in the number of hospitalizations. There's a couple of stories going around that are just heartbreaking of people who had treatable things that were non-COVID, but actually ended up dying because they couldn't get in to get a procedure done. They couldn't get a bed or they were sent around from hospital to hospital and then they died of something that doctors could have gone in and fixed. Yes, it, it completely heartbreaking stories. Uh, I just spoke with a chief medical officer at uh, one of our large teaching hospitals um, who they are doing no elective surgery. So, you know, if you had cancer and you wanted to have your surgery done uh, in two days or three days, that's, that's really considered an elective surgery because it doesn't need to be done today. And we're seeing that we have to put those surgeries off. This is a, a, just heartbreaking. And, and I think the, the biggest um, thing to talk about is that we can avoid these hospitalizations. People who are vaccinated um, have a significantly low incidence of uh, going into the hospital. So we've all got to work together on this. Okay, but but to sort of borrow some medical phraseology here, I mean, this is all because of an acute situation. We have COVID. Uh, we have now in the southeast uh, a hurricane. But is there not a more systemic issue here? Uh, does this country need to take a serious look for the future at uh, hospitals, how many more perhaps uh, hospital beds are needed, why we don't have enough. I mean, after 9-11, we're coming very close to that anniversary, right? Uh, There was a lot of talk about, is this country going to be prepared to deal with a major terrorist attack again, where hospital beds would be needed, maybe in many parts of the country? The, The pandemic seems to be pointing in the direction, maybe the answer to that is no. I I think that's a very good point. We actually put out a annual workforce report. So for physicians, so that's just part of the answer. And we've been saying for more than a decade that we don't have uh, sufficient uh, physicians in the United States. The number of doctors per 10,000 patients is very low as compared to um, other um, 
you know, uh, nations, uh, particularly if you take a look at Europe and and uh, other uh, nations that have the same resources that we do. Um, so we've really been working hard on the physician shortage. And then what you've seen in the last five to 10 years is rural hospitals um, and other community hospitals closing. And so we have to rethink how are we going to sustain healthcare in all the different areas in the United States. So it, it's a great point. We need to be doing more. And, and you're right, the, the pandemic and, and the stress that we're under is highlighting uh, the weakness in the system. So you put out all these reports and warnings. Is anybody listening to you? That's a a good point. So um, we have increased the number of medical students who are going to medical school, who matriculate to medical school by more than 35%. So we've done that in about the last 15 years. And we really have been asking Congress to increase the number of financially supported residency slots. So, you know, medical school residency, boom, you're a doctor. So um, increase in medical students, we're asking for increase in residents. And thankfully, after 20 years, um, we have um, more funding in the infrastructure um, package that President Biden has put forward. Now, that hasn't been passed yet, but I have to say it's the closest that we've come to people listening and then acting on what we've suggested. Dr. Janice Orlowski, Chief Health Officer for the Association of American Medical Colleges. The rising number of COVID cases in the U.S. leading to the European Union recommending travel restrictions on unvaccinated American tourists. Now, basically, the EU doesn't want them to uh, go to the continent if they don't absolutely need to be on the continent. Countries don't have to follow the guidelines, though, but it could uh, ruin some travel plans for people who don't get their shots. Andra Timu, European Union correspondent for Bloomberg News. She's in Bucharest, Romania. Uh, Andra, explain the restrictions so we can uh, wrap our head around these. So, um, yeah, it's primarily for for the people who are not vaccinated yet. But um, uh, this is just um, the EU functions slightly differently. So these are recommendations made from Brussels to the member states. But each country can now have, uh, they have a certain liberty to decide on their own uh, grounds for allowing U.S. citizens to enter their countries. So there are countries, for example, who only allow the vaccinated or the persons who uh, show um, proof that they uh, have a negative test or that they have uh, recovered from uh, from the COVID-19. Uh, so it actually depends from country to country. And these are also applied for countries inside the European Union. So, for example, for me as a Romanian, if I want to go to France, then I have to show as well the uh, vaccination certificate or the fact that I have recovered uh, from COVID-19 to uh, basically not to be uh, forced to enter a quarantine. So so what has, has really changed? Because since it's only an advisory uh, thing right, uh, and each country in the European Union can pretty much do what it pleases. Uh, some countries, as you just said, they can't really ignore them. So, <laughs> yeah, so, so, uh, so they what, can't really say, okay, we'll allow there. So, uh, since there is this uh, advisory from the um, European Union, you can't. If you are a country, you can't really say, okay, I'll just allow every American citizen. So I'll totally disregard this. Uh, 
uh, <laughs> this recommendation basically, but it does allow, um, it's, uh, it's sort of a guideline. It's not mandatory, uh, but it sort of allows the countries to impose the restrictions, the countries that do not have them right now. It could be uh, a way to justify for them uh, the new restrictions, basically, if they consider applying them. Okay. So like a floor, not a ceiling kind yeah. of thing. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Does some so, of this, do you think, have to do with the fact that maybe some of these countries are, are not happy that we haven't been letting anyone in and they've been letting us in for the last yeah. few months? The principal... <laughs> The principle of reciprocity basically was one of the hot topics during the discussions uh, of the ministerial meetings that took uh, place uh, in the past uh, a few days in Brussels. So there, all, there's always been this. It's it's basically it's a, a diplomatic language that they use. So uh, uh, the fact that the U.S. hasn't uh, allowed the European citizens to enter uh, uh, its territory, it's also it probably waited, at least maybe not for all countries, but in the face of some countries, it waited in uh, the decision process, basically. So for Americans who might be planning a trip to one of the EU countries in the very near future, uh, if they're not vaccinated, uh, I mean, obviously, they're going to have to check with individual countries, right? But pretty yeah. much if they're vaccinated, they're probably not going to have a hard time. But if they're not vaccinated, they may have to quarantine that yes. sort of thing. Yes, yes. Uh, this is uh, this is strictly. It's also um, uh, you know that many countries and many governments in the EU and uh, in the US they have refrained from imposing uh, mandatory vaccination. But they are this is could be seen also as a way of the governments to try to encourage people to get vaccinated because uh, there are a lot of European countries that still have a very low vaccination rate. Um, and as well, there's also uh, reticence among uh, U.S. citizens as well. So it's probably one way to encourage people to get vaccinated. Um, and the best advice now for U.S. citizens would be to definitely check um, each the uh, exterior, the uh, Foreign Affairs Ministry site to check the conditions in every specific countries that they plan to go. Of course, it's easier for the vaccinated because they just have to show the vaccination proof. So, Andrew Timu covers the European Union for Bloomberg News uh, with us from Romania. Coming up after a short break, get vaccinated or you might not be able to see your kid. A judge in Chicago asked a mom during a child support hearing whether she had been vaccinated. Now, mom says no. The judge then suspended her parenting time until she could get vaccinated. The mother claims she was under medical orders not to receive the vaccine. The judge rescinded the order so the mom can see the child again. But the woman's lawyer says the issue could possibly be brought up again in court. So here to talk about this strange one, Elizabeth Green Lindsay, family attorney in Atlanta, president of the American Academy of Matrimonial Lawyers. Uh, Elizabeth, your thoughts on this? Well, certainly this was a surprise that you... You know, in a hearing, you need notice and opportunity to be heard and um, due process. And so this judge clearly acted alone. It appears that as of today, he has corrected that motion by entering an order vacating the order, preventing um, so that the mother's parenting time could continue. But that um, is the first opportunity I've seen any judge stepping in um, so 
so powerfully. And also, I think it just demonstrates the frustration that the public, including judges, are feeling about those who are choosing not to be vaccinated in this process. I was going to say that that obviously the judge was trying to make a statement, right, that that uh, the child's safety uh, perhaps is compromised by having a, a parent with custody who is not vaccinated and therefore could give the child uh, a, a disease that uh, could be dangerous even for someone that young. Is there any foundation in law to do that? So I think that would take a whole lot more information for a judge to do that. At the beginning of the pandemic, all across the country, we were seeing parents struggling with how to let children go back and forth when the shelter and place orders were in and um, all the different feelings about masking and social distancing and and the protocols for safety. Um, The courts at that point generally jumped in pretty quickly and said, look, you can't use shelter in place as a reason not to allow parenting time between divorced spouses. And they made it pretty clear that they expected parents to cooperate and for everybody to operate in good faith in that regard. So it's unusual that a judge would step in and impose their own views at this stage without any additional medical or other testimony um, or notice as to that this was going to be an issue so that people could prepare. I mean, certainly there could be good reasons for a child who may have more um, medical issues not to to, to be extra cautious. Um, and But you would need a whole lot more information to make this kind of decision in a fair way. Yeah. Is, is it also an overstep here? Because it's not like they were doing battle before the judge and the dad said, I have concerns because she's not vaccinated. It's kind of the judge was going through things and then asked, by the way, are you are you? Oh, you're not. And then the whole thing changed. Yeah, I didn't um, I didn't really see a transcript of the hearing, but it's clear that it was um, from what I could tell on that. This was out of the blue. Nobody was expecting this to be an issue. And it wasn't a, the health of the child was not at the center of the litigation when they were in court. So it certainly is an overstep. At, for that particular issue. So, as you pointed out, the judge vacated uh, his own order, right? So, um, it's not in effect, although clearly making a statement along the way. Do you think that, that most people in the legal profession who deal with these kinds of issues are kind of quietly thinking, yeah, right on, or are they aghast that a judge would even attempt to do this? I think that most of us would be aghast that the judge would do this on his own without addition, you know, without notice and without any kind of um, serious information or evidence about the particular endangerment to this child. Parents have a right to parent their children. We have a right to um, have ongoing time with them. This was a pretty serious interference with parental rights um, without the type of notice we normally expect. And I don't know that judges ought to be speaking um, legislatively from the bench without, you know, without the particulars of and the discretion to deal with a very specific issue with very specific information. So kind of a one off or do we see more of this? I think what you're going to see is that parents fighting about vaccinations, the court is going to make a decision as to which parent is going to end up deciding who has the power to get the child vaccinated. And anecdotally, it seems to me that in just about every case I've ever come across, the parent who's going to vaccinate is going to end up getting the right to make that decision because that's what the court is going to think is best for the child. It's all going to be based on the best interests of the children. When the order was vacated, what was the rationale for vacating the order that had just been given? 
Um, essentially, it's, it seems to be notice and lack of um, any hearing on the endangerment issue. It says for the absence of a pleading. So that means nobody knew that was an issue that was going to be before the court. <laughs> and there was no hearing on the issue of whether there was an endangerment to the child specifically about the lack of the vaccine by the mother who, who allegedly has medical issues that may make a vaccine not appropriate for her. You know, of course, no one has that information. We did say at the beginning of the show, we're going to talk about something that, that you might find surprising. And then, yeah. then we also mentioned, well, I think the mom in the case found it surprising also. So yeah. clearly the dad, everybody. <laughs> Everyone was surprised. Was surprised yeah. <laughs> uh, that this was happening. Elizabeth Green Lindsay, family attorney, Davis Matthews and Quigley in Atlanta, president of the American Academy of Matrimonial Lawyers. A new study out of Great Britain looks into how much worse the Delta variant is when it comes to the number of people in the hospital. Researchers looked into 40,000 cases between March and May when the Delta variant took off in Britain to compare the rates of hospitalization. They say the results suggest that patients with the Delta variant had more than two times the risk of hospital admission compared with patients with the Alpha variant. You can find this Odyssey original and others on the Odyssey app, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and Stitcher. 